What do CGN leaders believe about the charismatic gifts mentioned in the Bible, specifically the spiritual gifts of prophecy, healing, and speaking in tongues? Are these gifts still in operation? Are they available to Christians today? And if so, how should they be used practically in our churches? Welcome to the CGN Mission and Methods Podcast, Season 3. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I will be your host this season. The goal and vision of this podcast is that this would be a forum for communication about Calvary Global Network. We want to share with you some of the stories about what God is doing. We want to talk about some of the initiatives that we're involved in spearheading. And we also want to answer some of the questions you might have about who we are as a network. In the episodes in this season, I'm joined by Kellen Criswell, the former executive director and now global strategist for CGN. And in many episodes, I'm also joined by Brian Broderson, founder and president of CGN and the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. In this episode of the CGN Mission and Methods podcast, I sit down with Brian Broderson and Kellen Criswell to discuss one of the theological streams that we belong to as a network, which is continuationism. We believe that all the spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament are available for believers today. We discuss the difference between the terms continuationist and charismatic, and we look at the biblical reasons why we hold this position and share some stories as examples of what this can look like in practice. Make sure to listen for a clip from Pastor Chuck Smith in which he talks about a key passage for this discussion, which is found in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. Here's the episode. Welcome to the CGM Mission and Methods podcast. This is Nick Cady, and I'm joined today by Pastor Brian Broderson and Pastor Kellen Criswell. Hey, welcome. Hey, glad thanks. to be here. Good to be here. Well, I know that this is a topic, Brian, particularly, I know that this is a topic that's close to your heart. I've heard you speak on it many times, uh, both in Europe and here in the U.S. And so I, I'd just love to hear you share your heart on this. But before we do that, Kellen, let's define what do we mean by continuationism? What does the word mean and what do we mean specifically by it? Sure. So continuationism is continuationism, if I can even say the word. <laughs> it's a it's a word used in theological discussion for a particular camp that represents a view on the, the nature and status of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in Scripture. Normally, we're mostly talking about the New Testament in, in these conversations. But so the way that we state our position on in an official sense for Calvary Global Network on the website is we say our churches are continuationist. And what that means to us is we believe that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Scripture are available to and active within the church today. So the opposite of this would be, more broadly speaking, is the, the, the category called cessationism, which, again, the, the root of continuationist is continue. We think all these gifts continue. And then on the opposite side, cessationism, there's a, there's a group of wonderful Christians who are part of the family that believe certain gifts mentioned, particularly in the New Testament, has ceased to be in operation in the church with really the, typically it's the passing of what they would consider the passing of the apostolic office of, of the church that they would say was only around at the founding of the church, just uh, subsequent to the, to the uh, ascension of Christ and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And, and I think too, I was going to tell you, go for it. If you cough, <laughs> There's a mute button. If oh, you hit hey. that, that will, that will decrease. We'll leave this in. This doesn't even have to be an edit. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm just coughing COVID all over the studio. So, Kellen, thank you for that uh, explanation. I think it was really good. But let me ask you this. Is continuationism, therefore, just another word for charismatic, or is there a difference between mm-hmm. being charismatic and being continuationist? What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think that there is a distinction. And I I do think, it, you know, let's just put it in the context of Calvary Chapel for a moment. So over the history of our group of churches as a movement, we've been a bit of an enigma, Mm -hmm. you know, to people on one side or the other. So people who tend to be more conservative and lean more toward a cessationist view have oftentimes viewed us as charismatic, Mm -hmm. but charismatics don't think of us as charismatic. They would view us more and even be suspicious of us perhaps being cessationist. Mm -hmm. So I think continuationist really does, it more accurately describes who we are because I wouldn't say we're charismatic in the in the historical or traditional sense of mm-hmm. the charismatic movement or even Pentecostal, mm-hmm. which is a milder form of charismatic mm-hmm. and preceded charismatic, I think. But continuationist, I think, shows that theologically we are committed to the continuation of the gifts of the spirit on through to the second coming. But we also recognize strict biblical boundaries mm-hmm. uh, for the expression of these gifts and things. Yeah, I remember. So my own experience with Calvary Chapel was uh, moved to Hungary as a missionary. And there we would have gatherings, you know, especially of leaders. And, and we would uh, there would be times when the gifts, there was an openness to the gifts. And I remember just being really impressed by the fact that everything was done according to the scriptures. If there was a prophecy shared, it was done orderly. If there was a gift of tongues, they would ask for an interpretation. And I was just like, wow, I really respected that because it showed me a couple things. One is that we take the Bible seriously, mm-hmm. both in practice and in theory. <clears throat> And we also don't just, we're not just pragmatists, right? We're not just like, well, this is going this direction, so let's just go with it. But we say, hey, we, we really believe that God has inspired these scriptures and this is what he wants. It's interesting. I was, I had, I do a call-in show in Colorado and I had a guy call me and he was talking about, he said, I go to this church and, you know, there's, there's um, kind of this disorderly, charismatic stuff going on, people falling on the floor, people speaking in tongues all at the same time. And he's like, I'm not sure what to think about it. It just, it strikes me as weird, but I don't know what to think about it. And I said, well, have you read first Corinthians 14? And he said, no, I've never read that chapter. I'm like, how long have you been going to this church? And he's like, like five years. Yeah. And nobody's ever brought up first Corinthians 14. I was shocked. So I think that this, this approach to scripture really reflects Personally, and I, I mean, I know that some people, somebody might not agree with this, but I would say, personally, I think even more than the cessationist view, this view actually honors the text of the scripture, both in theory and practice. Yeah. Yeah. And 1 Corinthians 14 is, is a key. I've said the same thing to numerous people. Hey, if you just read this chapter, <laughs> you would it sort a lot of things out. Really, yes, it would sort a lot of things out. Well, okay. Tell me why this... At being continuationist, beyond, you know, the, the biblical aspect that I just mentioned, why is this important for us as a movement in several regards, in regard to pastoral ministry, in regard to the kinds of churches that we'd like to see proliferated? 
Yeah. Can I maybe uh, on this point too, uh, maybe it would be helpful for those listening to get a little more specific too about what gifts are normally connected to the controversy about whether or not they continue today. Right. So, Mm. uh, I mean, it's probably obvious to everybody listening to this. We're not, nobody's debating whether or not the gift of mercy (laughs) is still an operation. So, and you guys can help me out with a list here, but what we tend to be talking about with differences of perspective are gifts like tongues, the gift of prophecy, gifts of healings. Perhaps you could add miracles yeah. in a broader sense into that. Is God yeah, still doing miracles I think it, the simple way to put it is the more obviously supernatural gifts. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that tend to be shied away from. You know, So the cessationist position would not be a denial of all gifts, but really I think right. the terminology is even the sign gifts. Mm-hmm. So I think there is, you know, there is an aversion in human beings and to some extent toward the, the supernatural. And I, and I do think that there's a tie. I've thought about this a lot recently, actually, you know, there, there's some, there's somewhat of a tie to a sort of overly intellectualized faith and of a simultaneous denial of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think an overly intellectualized faith is a faith that's trying to mentally figure it all out. And the supernatural doesn't factor into that well. Mm-hmm. So let's just, you know, push that aside, either ignore it, or in some cases, let's just flat out mm-hmm. come up with a theory that it doesn't exist today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thought that quite a bit in this particular discussion, how you know, I mean, for past generations in the West, especially, uh, we've our society and our thinking and education has been shaped by modernism and yeah. this idea that we just through um, empirical and rational f- methodology and thought, you can arrive at truth in some exhaustive sense. But we're very rationalistic, you know, prior generations in the past. That's changing now, obviously, is postmodern came in and, you know, now post postmodern, we were talking about in another episode and all that. And I think younger generations today are much more open to mystery and even Mm -hmm. supernatural types of things. And so, yeah, I think the modernism is part of like what you're saying has made many past generations skeptical of the gifts in the church. And now though, with culture's new, I would say openness to it, we have this great opportunity if you are a continuationist, mm-hmm. because you can give them the real stuff of the real power and presence and person of God in these things. Yeah. yeah. So again, why is this important for us as regards practical Christian ministry? Why do we think that this is worth emphasizing? Yeah, because we're saying we believe that prophecy are for today, we, mm-hmm. that tongues are for today, that God can heal today and does want to do these things, right? Yeah, and I think those those are those are aspects of what we're talking about. But I mm-hmm. think there's an even you know there's an even bigger picture of just a a dependency and an expectation of the presence mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way to do things that we could never naturally do, yeah. regardless of how naturally endowed we are. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I mean the most important point to make is that. This is the scriptural picture of of what the church is to be. You know, Jesus, you know, John 14 through through John 16, as he's preparing the disciples for his departure, you know, that that evening before his betrayal and all of that. I mean, that's where he lays out the most detailed information about what's coming next. And what's coming next is 
I'm going to send you a helper. Mm-hmm. And the helper is going to enable you to do, he's going to bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. He's going to glorify me. He's going to, you know, and then on beyond that, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then we come to the book of Acts where we see, I think, somebody, whoever entitled the book, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, probably if they thought a little bit more about it, would have entitled it the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit through certain apostles and others Mm -hmm. in the early days of the church, Mm -hmm. because it's really, that's really what it is. So you look at the, the first disciples, you look at the apostles, those who were sent out by Jesus, he specifically tells them that they are not to go until they receive the supernatural power that manifests itself we know on the day of Pentecost in the gift of tongues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what we believe is that that wasn't just for them, right? right. This continues on to today. That's the idea of continuationism and that, that God didn't put an expiration date on that. He yeah. didn't say, well, mm-hmm. this is just for this group, but this is something that actually is important for ministry as we yeah. continue and as we seek to preach the gospel yeah. and make disciples. Yeah. And, and, you know, historically, I think that the, the move away from that kind of a dependency you know, happened as the church succeeded, Mm. at least ostensibly outwardly, gained more influence and in the culture. And I remember reading authors that we would all appreciate from writing in the um, late 1800s, early 1900s, who were so convinced before the First World War that Christianity was actually improving the world and was going to continue to improve the world. That they even suggested that in the pagan culture of the first century, that kind of power was absolutely necessary Mm. to bring the gospel in. But now that the church has had this 2000 years of impact and, you know, the Christian, the culture has largely been Christianized, that power is no longer necessary. Mm. I mean, that's a... That's a paraphrase yeah. of G. Campbell Morgan. Okay. <laughs> so, wow. and thinking about, wow, none of them knew that, mm. you know, the empire would strike back. None of them knew <laughs> yeah. that paganism would resurface mm. and we would be in a similar situation to what the apostles were in the first century. Yeah. I mean, it is a bit, a little bit myopic in a way because cessationism is a Western phenomenon. Mm. You see that most of, as Christianity is spreading, yeah. Right yeah. now in the global south and in the global east, it's it's very much a it's very focus Pentecostal, on, very yeah. charismatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to that as we were kind of talking about it earlier. And, you know, a term <clears throat> that we could use to describe that is the Western plausibility structure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see it through. Well, mm. this is this is what is plausible to me based upon my worldview that mm-hmm. is highly influenced by empiricism and mm-hmm. so forth. So if it doesn't fit into that structure, then I'm going to just sort of not pay all that much attention to it. Yeah. And I know that this has been a big part of who Calvary Chapel is for years. And maybe just tell us some of that story. You know, how has this been a part of Calvary Chapel throughout the past decades? Well, I, you know, I would say that this was very much an integral part of Calvary in the earliest days of, of the movement. Again, going back to Pastor Chuck's own history, where he came out of a Pentecostal denomination mm-hmm. and so had grown up in Pentecostalism, but had seen certain excesses that he himself wanted to move away from.
At the beginning of the 20th century, 1906, there began a modern charismatic movement called in those days a Pentecostal movement with a renewing of interest in the gifts of the Spirit. And with this modern Pentecostal movement beginning in 1906, those fundamentalist preachers who wanted to discount this movement of the Holy Spirit in these last days, they turned to 1 Corinthians 13 and they brought out a new interpretation. And suddenly that which is perfect is come was no longer the coming again of Jesus Christ. But now, according to their interpretation, it was the full revelation of the Word of God. When we received the whole canon of scriptures, they did not need the supernatural gifts of prophecy, tongues, and word of knowledge to teach the people any longer. We now have the Word of God, that which is perfect, has come, and therefore all of the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the apostles and the end of the apostolic age. That brought an end to the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. And in order to, of course, prove from a scriptural basis their premise, they had to change the meaning of that which is perfect and twist it around to mean the Word of God rather than the coming again of Jesus Christ. So in the more later commentaries, you will find that which is perfect often being referred to as the Word of God, but that is not so prior to this century before all of the Bible teachers understood it to mean the coming again of Jesus Christ. I agree with G. Campbell Morgan, who I believe to be a very honest commentator. I agree with him when he declared that it is obvious from the context that he has to be referring to the coming again of Jesus Christ. For he goes on to say that we're going to see him face to face. Now we see through the glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, we prophesy in part, but then we are going to know even as we are known when, when we see him or meet him face to face. So rather than this 13th chapter here being a proof against the exercise of the gift of prophecy or tongues or word of knowledge today. In reality, it is a support because these are given to us until the coming again of Jesus Christ, until that which is perfect is come. He wanted to move away from those excesses, but he never theologically moved away from the position mm -hmm. of believing in all of the gifts yeah. being available and for believers today, you know, yeah. so he himself spoke in tongues. He himself believed in prophecy and so on and so forth. And in the earliest days of the movement, you know, through the 
late 60s through maybe the mid 70s, that was pretty much just what you experienced. Mm -hmm. Not a wild, crazy, charismatic kind of an experience, but a balanced, biblically based manifestation of the gifts. Mm -hmm. And so there were prophecies, there were healings, there were, you know, different things that happened. I think one of the things that happened is when the vineyard, of course, the the original vineyard was Calvary Chapel in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. And um, John Wimber eventually, you know, got involved. And there was a shift by John and some others toward more of a Pentecostal type of an experience. They they wanted to to introduce things that Chuck had intentionally moved away from. And so that was what led to the the split that ended up creating the vineyard ministry mm-hmm. that came out of Calvary Chapel. I was there at that meeting when all of that went down. And I think with hindsight now, I think I don't think either group handled it well. Mm. I don't think we handled it well. And I don't think the vineyard guys handled it well. <laughs> Neither one of us handled it well. And I think that that's an unfortunate thing, you know, in mm-hmm. our history. But as I think, you know, as I, as I look back on it, I feel like where the vineyard wanted to intentionally move more toward, you know, at that time it was just more toward a Pentecostalism. But I mm-hmm. think as they went further, it would be more towards, you know, the kind of some extreme charismatic stuff. The reaction of Calvary was to go in the opposite direction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not to deny the theologically to deny yeah. it, but to experientially just move mm-hmm. away from it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's just be honest. One of the names that I think you can easily put forth as a representative of cessationism is John MacArthur. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so John became uh, a real influence (laughs) he became a real influence and a model for a lot of guys within calvary chapel some even took the position of denying the gifts and embracing a cessationist position Mm -hmm. others never moved there theologically but practically they Mm -hmm. did Mm -hmm. and so i think for a long time especially through the 80s and 90s we we as a movement i'm speaking generally and, and collectively we as a movement leaned practically much toward much more toward uh, a cessationist type of an approach mm-hmm. to things even though we theologically still held to uh, continuationism mm-hmm. uh, i think in the past 20 plus years there's been efforts to to bring things into a balance and i know for myself i have in the past 20 years especially really you know sensed the need to re-emphasize mm-hmm. the person, the work, the ministry of the Spirit, both in in our local congregation and even in the larger groups, you know, conferences and yeah. thing, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And so moving forward, it sounds like you would just want to make sure that we never lose that part of our heritage. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because I, I think, you know, that is the beginning of the end if you lose that because then you're you're just really dependent upon what you can muster up as a as a human being mm-hmm. <laughs> you know a, a human being who is a christian mm-hmm. but nevertheless i think the scriptures make it clear that we need something beyond even conversion or indwelling of the spirit we need empowering of the spirit mm-hmm. to do what god's called mm-hmm. us to do 
It's interesting with CGN, you know, we have several training initiatives and we've talked about some of them here on this podcast, some strategies and some things that we're doing, everything from talking about funding and development to having intentional ways of training up church planters and maybe even working together to see churches planted. Not to mention that we have a formal partnership with Western Seminary Mm -hmm. and actually the three of us have all had formal seminary education. And I've never actually heard it leveled at Calvary or CGN in particular, but I could imagine that this thought would cross someone's mind that are we therefore moving away Mm -hmm. from a dependency on the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. in, you know, strategizing and, and going to seminary and having these things, what would you say to somebody who, who might have that thought? You mean specifically because formal seminary is becoming a, a thing that we're doing? Yes. Many of us are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so I guess for one thing, just in reference to what you were saying, Brian, about, it's interesting hearing the history from your experience of it and kind of where Calvary is today. And I would say um, just from an anecdotal standpoint, being right here at 40 and um, knowing a lot of guys in the 50s, 40s, 30s that are connected to our movement. It is what I I guess what I think is like I haven't been there to see the pieces of how it's all got us here. But I would say my general experience is just talking through this, these issues related to the presence of the gifts today that there's not a lot of practice going mm-hmm. on. There's not right. a lot of personal experience going on. I wouldn't say most guys don't haven't come to the conclusion that it doesn't exist or it's mm-hmm. not possible, but they haven't had any yeah. modeling of it by the Calvary guys one or two yeah. generations ahead of them. So they don't really, it's like, I feel open to this in scripture. I see this in our history, but I don't really know how it yeah. works and I don't know where to get started. I know that didn't answer your question. I'll get yeah. back to that. But. Yeah. yeah. And I want to answer that before we answer the other one. I mean, and you know, it, it, it is a difficulty, you know, for uh, at least a decade, uh, if not more at our annual pastors conferences, I ended up being the person to lead the, you know, we called it an afterglow sometimes, you know, some sort of a time that's set aside where everybody's together to specifically experience the empowering, the gifts of the spirit and so forth. And and I'll tell you, those were some of the most challenging few hours of the year for me because, you know, you're in a room with hundreds of pastors mm-hmm. and you're realizing that, man, you know, if you expect your congregation to embrace this, but the leadership themselves don't even know how to mm-hmm. begin to navigate it, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I th- and I think this is where we, you know, again, culturally, and I'll, I'll just use the vineyard just because it that was the actual distinction. I think in some ways I'm envious of, of the vineyard in the sense that they developed a culture that freely moved in that area. Mm. And I think we we went so hard the other direction, we became very rigid and stiff in that. Now, uh, on the other side, of course, and I know vineyard guys that would agree, their problem was they they really moved away from the scriptural foundation that ended up leading to some crazy stuff yeah. down the road and some instability in, in the movement. So, so they look and see, yeah, we probably should have hung a little tighter to scripture like Calvary did. But I think if a Calvary Chapel person, I can only speak for myself, but I would say, we 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 should have followed a little bit of their lead in mm. the, in this openness because what you're describing Kellen is it's a cultural thing in our churches mm-hmm. there isn't a sense of expectation 
or freedom in the sense that I'm going to come to a gathering and man, God's going to speak to me maybe through a prophetic word or man, I, you know, I'm not really feeling well. I, mm-hmm. I can have hands laid on me and perhaps I can be healed. We don't see a lot of people coming with those expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think when we go again, when we go back to the New Testament, when we go back to the book of Acts, when we go back to Corinthians, that was the atmosphere that the early believers breathed. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we have to we have to see that restored in, mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it begins with, you know, just an, an intentionality. We just finished as a congregation teaching through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Yeah. And, and we took about six weeks out of that and really drilled down into the gifts and the exercising of the gifts and the empowering of the spirit. And we intentionally said, this is not just information we want to pass on to you. We want to practice this. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on seeking out opportunities where we can really, you know, step out and exercise it. And it's a, it's kind of a step of faith. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So in reference also to the the formal education thing, if we want to get into that for a second, is is entrance into formal seminary evidence of moving away from dependence on the spirit and I'm sure it's obvious to everybody. I'm going to say that that's not my opinion, you know, but I just think what I'm processing right now in this moment with that is the history of Calvary. I think it's the history of the New Testament church in this sense is spirit and scripture. It's spirit and study. We are, Paul tells us, be filled with the spirit. Paul tells us through Timothy to study, to show yourself approved. And we hold that. I think that's part of the unique beauty of Calvary's history of the things that CGN is now building on top of is we we're saying, let's do both all the way. Mm-hmm. Let's go all the way in a scripturally defined way with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit for today. And it's our s- diligent study of scripture that's going to tell us to do that, right? But on the other side, in the study factor or the study side of this, um, to me, formal seminary, it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. It is, but it is just one way. It's a tool for, for obeying that command to continue to give ourselves to the study of the scriptures. Again, like Paul told, the, told to Timothy, to prepare ourselves to be equipped for ministry and every good work and all of these types of things. So for me, it is, these things are not um, inherently at odds at all. And it really comes down to the individual and how you approach that type of thing. I mean, sure, you cannot go to seminary and still replace dependency on the Holy Spirit with your perceived great intellectualism, right? You know, and so, yeah, I don't see it as as kind of, as, as something that cancels out dependency on the Spirit. I also want to just say really clearly that we, yes, we do have this great partnership with Western Seminary through which well over 100 CGN church leaders are participating in formal programs at Western Bryan's in a pro- program with Wheaton with several other uh, CGN and Calvary Chapel pastors. Nick, you graduated from London School of Theology. So we have all of that going on. And that's a really cool thing. That's a great thing. It's been very beneficial to everybody I've talked to. It's been beneficial in my own experience. But what I want to say about that is while we're really excited about that, we are equally excited about continuing to champion the principle that seminary is not for everyone. 
if if God's particular call for your life and what he wants to do in your life in ministry requires formal education, like it, that is the case with me and, and some of us, you know, then absolutely go for it. And don't you lose that dependency on the spirit, you know. But but aside from that, we still 100 percent believe God can save, call, empower, gift and send anyone into a fruitful life of Christian service and ministry, whether or not you ever touch the halls of a formal academic institution. But no, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> and, and I would agree. agree Little soapbox, sorry. Yeah. And, and, and I would agree 100%. And I think that, I think actually within, again, you know, kind of speaking generally for the movement, I think, you know, somehow we bought into the idea that that these were contradictory, you know, that you mm-hmm. either were depending on the spirit or you were getting an education rather than seeing that actually the spirit might lead you to get an education. Yeah. And my experience in the academic realm has been that not only are all of my classmates guys who are extremely, you know, gifted leaders and preachers, all of them are in their way radically dependent on the spirit and not only my classmates mm-hmm. but i i can't even think of a single professor that i've had that isn't a person who is encouraging uh dependency on the spirit and not thinking that we're somehow replacing that with our uh, academics mm-hmm. so. yeah you know the only people i've ever heard suggest that you're moving away from a dependency on the Holy Spirit by getting education, or we also mentioned strategy and working together and things like that. The only people I've ever met who would challenge that are people who aren't doing those things Yeah. because I've never met anybody who has gotten a formal education and then said, well, now I no longer need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Tick that box, right? And, you know, here's the other thing that happens and has been talked about through like the Dunning-Kruger effect, which basically means that the less competent you are, the more confident you tend to be. And the more <laughs> you grow in competence, the more you realize how much you don't know. You get humble, yeah. And I, I think that's absolutely what's happened to me as I've studied is like, I realize as I start to study a few things that, okay, that's cool to know these things, but that's just knowledge, which can be used by God. But I need that supernatural element. Only the Holy Spirit absolutely. can yeah. cause someone to go from death to life. Only the Holy Spirit yeah. can change a heart and break through walls and yeah we absolutely need it yeah all right well let's get real for a minute and just talk about what does this look like in practice i'd love to hear some stories of your experience of the gifts in Mm -hmm. practice your experience of the filling of the holy spirit Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean but both kellen and i i'm sure you know, Kellen's got a, a few things to share, but let, mm-hmm. let me, I'm going to, I'm going to do it in different. I, I want to talk about it in a, from a preaching standpoint, because I I think mm-hmm. one of the things that we, we, I, I don't know if we assume it or maybe we don't even realize it, but to me, true preaching must be prophetic. It must be accompanied by a supernatural component. Mm-hmm. And, and I think all of us it, we've all experienced it. We might not even know that's exactly what's happening. We might attribute it to something other than the Spirit. For example, since we used MacArthur as an example earlier, I will use him again. I remember reading a, a book on preaching that he wrote years ago, and he was talking about those moments when you're preaching, when just suddenly <laughs> you're going in a different direction, but, and you, you know, it's not planned. But it's, it's definitely the, the, the word that needs to come at the moment. 
And I thought, wow, you know, he's describing a prophetic moment. But the funny thing was he attributed it to accumulated knowledge over the years that was buried deep in him that he didn't even remember was there, but somehow at the moment yeah. it just needed to come up. And I thought, wow. That's... That is commitment to a theological system. And, and I thought to myself, I thought, well, I've got the same experience, except I don't have that accumulated knowledge. So how do you explain my my experience? There's so, a word for that. Right? <laughs> so in preaching, and here, here's an example I'll give. I remember, you know, some years ago after I had left London, but, you know, we planted some churches around London and I went to visit one of the churches and to speak. And I came in and I don't maybe 150 people there. And, and, you know, so that morning I'm, you know, you're there and you're like, gosh, Lord, you know, what's the word? What do I share? And all of that. So I got up and I did my teaching, whatever it was. I can't remember what it was. And, and the leadership of the church afterwards, as we were having lunch, they said this, they said, you know, this is so mind blowing. They said, you, you addressed every critical issue in the church that we're all going through (laughs) in your sermon today. And I said, isn't that ironic? I didn't know anything that you guys were going through, but this is just the direction I sense the Lord leading me. So I, I attribute that to a prophetic word. That, that, to me, that's what prophecy is. You know, you're speaking into the moment with a word from God for mm-hmm. that specific thing. So that's one context. Some years ago, I was in Canada and we were having a conference. I was just in Canada a few months ago and we were, some of us were talking about this because we were together even back then. And I remember we're there and I'm kind of leading a time, you know, with the group after the, the teaching and we're waiting on the spirit. And the Lord is suddenly begins to speak to me. I'm up in the front, I'm leading and the Lord speaks to me. I want you to I want you to speak in tongues. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, we, I mean, this is all dialogue going on between me and God in my, in my brain. And, you know, I just thought, no, Lord, this is really going to be awkward. I, you know, I just didn't want to do it. And it was probably a good 10 to 15 minutes of me just standing up there wrestling with the Lord. Other things are going on, so it's not like everybody's just looking at me. But there, there comes a point where I just really sense from the Lord, like the Lord saying, look, you, I really want you to do this. Mm. So finally, I just, you know, blurted out. And the, the minute I did, it, this was so mind-blowing, the minute I did, somebody in the second row began to simultaneously interpret. And the interpretation, it was actually a word for me that I spoke in tongues, another person interpreted it, and it was just this, it was a thing that actually solidified an aspect of my calling in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously you can imagine it just completely blew my mind. Yeah. You know, that moment. And then one more. <laughs> so what, one of the things that we've been doing at, at our conferences, we've been doing what we call prophetic prayer. Mm-hmm. And so we have a team of people who exercise that, that prophetic gift and we will invite a conference attendees to sign up for uh, a session of prophetic prayer. And here's what they do. They sign up, they come, and they're going to be prayed over for about 15 minutes. They're not going to give us any information about anything going on in their lives. So they're not coming and saying, you know, we've got this crisis, we need to 
have help with this or mm-hmm. financially we've got a problem or my health is this or whatever. We just say, look, you just come. We will pray over you. I can't tell you how many people have said, mm-hmm. my goodness, you just prayed over every single thing that is going on deep in my heart or in my ministry. And in the course of that prayer, there have been words that have been given to help them to, you know, move along and yeah. whatever God mm-hmm. has for them. So those are some of the things that have been yeah. happening with us. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So I would just share, I guess, my my very first, what I would say is my first very clear experience with these kinds of gifts that we're talking about. So for me, I was, my earliest Christian discipleship was actually in a church that was very formally cessationist and knew it and wanted to be it. I mean, I often joke that my first things I, that were ingrained in me as a new Christian were that the, the Holy Spirit doesn't really do much today. You're a Calvinist and women can't do anything in the church. So go tell the world the good news. <laughs> and that was pretty much, I was very militant and rabid about these points for a long time. But for me, in the course of time, one thing that was ingrained into me in that church was just this high value of scripture and living according to scripture. And as I read through, I started to read the Bible more than books about the Bible at a certain point. And uh, reading through First Corinthians, I remember having this moment where I just sat back and I said, I think I could believe at, that everything Paul says is actually for today, and it wouldn't threaten the sufficiency or closed nature of scripture at all, because that was one of the things mm-hmm. I was told is that these gifts can't be for today because Scripture is completed. And if they are for today, then you're saying there's something inadequate about Scripture. And I just in reading the pages, I was like, I don't I don't think that that's true. And that became this 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 kernel of openness to this possibility. And then one of the things I read at that time was First Corinthians 14, 1. We're in the in the middle of all this discussion on the gifts. Paul, it's a command. He says, pursue love. And as the New King James puts it, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And I read that and I thought, well, they, they told me I'm supposed to like obey the Bible. So like, it's hard to obey this command if I don't believe it's possible to experience these gifts. And I'm kind of starting to believe that. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, I better obey this command and desire it. And I didn't know how to express desire to God except to pray. And I just was like, well, Lord... I don't know what this is going to mean or if it's going to mean anything, but I'm open and I I want what you have for me. And I've come to believe now that that's a key. You know, he asks the question, why do some people not experience it? And I, I see two parts to this. God wants to manifest and he'll do it as he wills. But we have a part to believe in it mm-hmm. and to express desire for yeah. it and just be open, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was at that time. But the way that God came in and proved this to me that these experiences are possible in accord with scriptural teaching. I want to emphasize that was the following week. So I'm a new senior pastor at this time. I'm 25 years old. And one of the things that was handed to me was this outreach that we, that had been begun by some others where a few of us would go and sing hymns in a, in like a kind of a convalescent center and retirement community type of thing. And uh, we would go and at an appointed day once a month and uh, we would sing really poorly, a lot of off-key vocalists in our little group of five. The sweet old lady in the church would just, you know, bang out these hymns best she could on the piano that was in the common room there. But it's really good. You know, there'd usually be 40, 50 people wheeled out in their wheelchairs and everything like that. But for me, again, at 25, I was super awkward about it. I didn't want to do this. It was just handed to me. I was nervous about it. I didn't have a lot of experience doing these types of things. So one day 
right around this time, I'm feeling really annoyed that I've got to go and do this outreach. I'm just, a, you know, God, what are, are these people even getting this? I don't even know if they're mentally there or they're even understanding what I'm saying. Just all these things, you know. So we go against my will, clearly. And as we, we get in there, there's been this woman. Her, her name was Elizabeth. And it was one of these sad stories where her, fa- her kids had dropped her off and told her, we'll be back in a few weeks. And then they just never showed up again. And we, through the time of doing these outreaches, I'd gotten to know her a bit. And you just saw her go through this radical <laughs> decline where I think reality set in for her that this is probably where I'm going to be the rest of my life and my kids have abandoned me. So she's real sad, real broken. I'd had some interactions with her through the time, the course of time because she's, she was the daughter of a Mormon bishop. And Mormonism in the sticks of Idaho is like Mormon, Mormon. Okay, so she's deeply entrenched in this false system of belief and everything. So all of that to say, one time I remember when I was praying, I said, hey, let's pray. And she, she scolds me in the middle of prayer. Hey, you stop and fold your arms because that's an LDS form of reverence, you know. But I'm like, what do I, Jesus doesn't care if I do that. So anyway, all that to say, on this occasion, Elizabeth's not out there when we first start singing. And as we're going, I notice out of the corner of my eye, the nurse is wheeling her in in her wheelchair late. And as I catch eye contact with Elizabeth, she gets really animated and starts waving me over to her just frantically. And I whisper in the, in the lady's ear that was kind of leading the songs. So I said, you know, you guys just keep going. I'm going to go see what's going on with Elizabeth. And I go over and I kneel down next to her and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she, never forget it, she says, last night I had a dream and in my dream I saw Jesus and you were with him. And he told me I'd been lied to my entire life and that you have a message for me. Wow. (laughs) For me, again, I'm like a recovering cessationist maybe at this time. I don't even know if this stuff is going to be possible. I'm asking God to show me if if Scripture's really saying this is for today type of thing. And it stunned me, man. Like I practically, you know, fell over and I'm like, well, well, yes, sure. Of course I do have a message for you. you know? And, and I, again, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just like, it's gotta be the gospel. Right. And so I, I just, I share the gospel, you know, yeah, Jesus wants you to know he died for your sins and he rose from the dead. And if you trust in him, he'll embrace you and he forgives you. And, and she says, I just don't know if I've done enough though. Again, oh, from that right. LDS background. And I was able to reaffirm to her that it, that's the point. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. Mm-hmm. And, and this peace comes over her and I was able to, to pray for her. And I never saw her again after this. I don't know wow. what happened to her or, or whatever, but I went home and was just like, you know, thoroughly kind of <laughs> messed up in the head a little bit from that. And I just started praying. And I was like, Lord, what am I to make of this? I mean, is there precedent for this in scripture? And in that moment, what came to my mind is the story with Cornelius and, and Peter that, uh, God had given him a dream and he sent his messenger to him at the right time and coordinated it all. And and it was for this gospel presentation type of thing. So that to me, really, that's where God, I was like, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm open to this. And, and I think it does that, that experience brought together these two principles that we've been talking about this whole time that, yes, it's all about scripture. We're not talking about things that are not precedented and established by scripture, and yet God is more than just the scriptures. He's the God of the scriptures, and he wants to show up in our lives in accordance with what mm-hmm. he has says and work in real people's lives in real time through each one of us if we're open to that. Amen. That's exciting. Well, let's finish by, Brian, if you would, just yeah. would you pray for our listeners mm-hmm. um, to experience the sure. work and filling of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. 
Yeah, Father, we do pray for that, Lord. And we don't have to read far in our New Testament to see that this is a part of, you know, your gift to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, not only to seal us for eternity, but to empower us to do the work of the kingdom. And so, Lord, help us to embrace that. Help us to desire earnestly the best gifts. Lord, may we begin to experience in a fresh, new way the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives and in our congregations. So, Lord, uh, give us faith. Uh, help us to take steps of faith, not to be held back by by fear, but to trust you and to stand on your word and to act on it. So would you do that, Lord, that we might experience all the fullness of the power of the Spirit that you have for us at this time in our lives and in the history of your work in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the CGN Mission and Methods podcast. In our next episode, we will be discussing another one of the initiatives we are spearheading as a network, which is the area of funding and development. One of the great strengths of a network is that we are able to do more together than we can separately. And we're excited for you to hear about some of the things we have already begun to do to help churches in very practical ways and where we hope God will use this in the future. New episodes are being released every two weeks, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast so those episodes will be delivered to your device as soon as they come out. We'd love to hear feedback from you on these episodes. You can email us at cgn at calvarychapel.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, one of the best ways you can do that is by giving us a rating and review on your podcast app. Written reviews are particularly helpful in helping boost this content so other people can find it and benefit from it. Until next time, God bless you.